This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, yesterday I uh, thought it was Friday, but today's Friday. (laughs) Or it felt like a Friday yesterday. Anyway, well, we are finally into Friday. For those of you who work the uh, Monday to Friday type of shift, and a lot of us do, and a lot of us don't. (laughs) So uh, for years and years and years, when people say, yay, it's Friday, I'd be like, yeah, so? Right, (laughs) because in this business, you Mm -hmm. could work any shift, really. News never sleeps. Never, ever sleeps. Well, one of the stories that we've been watching very closely over the last little while is the evolving uh, situation in the town of Stephenville. And one of three people who recently resigned from the Stephenville Town Council is pointing his finger directly at the mayor for what he claims is a chaotic situation on council. Mayor Tom Rose recently dismissed concerns over the recent exodus of three town councillors and CAO, but former councillor Lenny Tiller has a different story to tell. Here's what he had to say today on VOCM Open Line with Patty Daly. Well, I'd like to start off, if I can, Patty, just giving you a little bit of background sure. on myself, because cause the mayor has, in, in my opinion, in the media over the last week or so, has had five or six different reasons why I left and can't seem to make up his mind. So I'll, I'll give you a little background. For four years, I lived in Fort McMurray. While I was there, I worked in oil and gas doing payroll and finance stuff, worked with safety departments, commonly worked with boards. I was on the district association of Brian Jean, who again was the leader of the Wild Rose Party. I was president of the Bay St. George Student Union campus for two years. One year provincially, went to Ottawa, went to Canada and Gatineau, fought for the oil and gas students that we had, and really put the province forward. I, I'm used to dealing with rules of procedure and how to act in these meetings. I was second vice president of Lions Club locally. I'm a member of the Regional Western Service Board. Politics and and procedure and how to act in a professional setting is is something that's not new to me. I'm not just some guy that was elected off the street sometimes the mayor would allude to as, oh, well, the three young people left council. But it was certainly the dynamic he had set up most of the time because there was always, he's the senior, or and not just him, there was other members, but he would speak on their behalf. There was a senior council and a junior council. It seemed like the senior council knew it all and should know it all, and we should be there to listen. And when I started speaking up in February of 2022, I believe it was, surrounding questions on the airports in a public meeting, well, shortly after that meeting, which was two or three days later, council actually called a meeting. And the whole sole purpose of that meeting was to try to correct me doing my role as a councillor. It didn't make any sense. One councillor stood up for me and said, this meeting doesn't make sense. But the rest of them got to go around the table one by one and take shots for speaking out publicly on what at the time didn't make any sense. Why was the airport being advertised as owned by the purchaser, but the town was trying to give taxpayer dollars to an airport that they said they didn't own anymore. So when the mayor refutes your claims, saying that you just simply didn't like being a councillor, so give us some examples of specifics about how you felt bullied or taunted by Mayor Rose or anybody else on council. Sure. So uh, to to his comment, Patty, I loved representing the people of Stephenville. 
we have some of the greatest residents. I'm sure you hear everybody say this, but we do. We, we have some engaged, active residents who care about their community that felt that they weren't being heard. And I was trying to bring their voice to the forefront, whether it be in committee or public meeting. There was lots of times where the mayor would actually utter the term, you're just a junior councillor. I've been here longer. I've never been questioned in this capacity. Why are you questioning me now? Things like expenses that were, were not pre-approved, and the Municipalities Act is pretty clear. Pre-approved expenses by the council are okay. The mayor doesn't get an expense account. He's no different than anybody else. But there was always a dynamic where the mayor and a few other members of council that were close to the mayor would know all the information, and the three new ones or the four new ones would be left out of knowing what that was going on. Then we have to make decisions. There were many times when, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the latest example. We were in the last meeting I attended was a committee meeting and he told me that I wasn't supposed to go against the finance committee because I was on the finance committee. And I would say, well, I don't agree with the committee's recommendation and I'm going to say it publicly. And he would try to, to intimidate you and belittle you into, well, you have no choice. You're on this committee. You have to agree. Well, when I put my name on the ballot, there wasn't junior counselor position that I ran for. I ran to be a counselor at the town of Stevedal. He put me on the finance committee. I didn't ask to be on the finance committee. But when I got elected to politics, it was to be the voice of the people, and that's what I tried to do. There were times that I had lifelong relationships with former mayors and councillors of the town of Stephenville, and I would go to meetings, and the comments would be made, well, you're just speaking on behalf of your buddies. There's no way you can know this. You're speaking on behalf of them. You don't have your own voice. And Patty, it wasn't just me as a counselor. I, I can't speak for, for the other two of why they left. Um, but the staff at the town has been treated this way as well. And, and I, I would, it is my perception and my feeling that we are at the point now that occupational health and safety should seriously look at going into the town and not just interviewing current employees, but also former employees. We've lost three CAOs in over two years. We've lost a manager of public, I believe it was Public Works, who's now working for the city of St. John's. There's numerous times where staff are so upset that they have to go on sick leave because of the way things are being managed. Most of the fights we had was over process, following a process. Process is what makes any organization work in a collective and collaborative effort. And that process has gone to the wayside for some reason to just complete anarchy. Lenny, do you think that the root of all of this is the fact that the mayor was on the airport authority board? You had voted against transfer of town cash for operating purposes to the airport authority in Stephenville. And then, of course, Mayor Rose was absolutely all in with Carl Diamond right off the get-go. So with your voting against that transfer of money, and whether it be back to the initial issue regarding those three parcels of land between the Stephenville Airport Corporation and World Energy GH2 and some of the confusing public commentary that came from that. So it is as simple as that. When those issues came to uh, came to bear, then all of a sudden you became a junior counselor. You became a problem. A hundred percent. If if you were either all in or you were all out, there was never a concession. For, from my perspective, now, Patty, someone else might tell you something different. From my perspective, 
you were either in or you were out. You either liked the idea or you didn't. And and the biggest issue for the residents of the town of Stephenville that, that I've heard from was who does the mayor represent today? Is he the mayor of the town? Is he the spokesperson for the purchaser? Or is he the spokesperson for the airport? And when those lines got blurred, they got blurred a lot. And and you could even hear commentary in public meetings or, or, or go back through media reports where you didn't really understand in a moment where his interest was lying. I, I'm sure the mayor, and, and, and I've seen the greatest side of Tom Rose where he would give you the shirt off his back, where he'd stop everything he was doing and load up his truck with wood and give it to seniors. But I've also seen this other side when you're not all in, as he said in that article, the official opposition of council. Well, well, we all know politics, Patty. We all see the House of Assembly. We all see the House of Commons. If we don't ask the questions for the people, we do not have a democracy anymore. The, the, the whole premise of democracy is to ask questions, to be able to oppose, to try to make something better. If we're all just going to sit there and agree 100% of the time, we are not going to get the best outcome for the residents of Stephenville. We're not going to create the best dynamic for the staff because the staff at the town is not going to know what to do and they're not going to feel comfortable. They're not going to know from day to day if they go to work, if if they're doing their job correctly because they're not, they're not, how do I say it? They're, they're so nervous about what's coming next or what's going to happen. A lot of them are fearful when they're doing their job and then they're making mistakes. The town has some of the greatest staff I've ever seen and ever had the pleasure to work alongside with smart, intelligent staff. And I can tell you, Patty, although they can't come out and speak publicly, I'll speak for them. They are nervous. They are scared. They do feel like they're being mistreated. They're stressed to the max. And and it's not just about there's not being enough staff as they're not being treated properly. Because when they put opposition up, they're bullied and intimidated as well. Lenny, this is, you know, maybe a bit of crystal ball kind of stuff, but there's rightful cynicism and skepticism out there about the future of the airport because it's been an awful long time. Some extremely lofty promises have been made. Very little traction up to this point versus simply changing the name of the airport, dealing with some past liabilities and what have you. So what do you think happens next? Well, I, 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 I hope the purchaser succeeds in, in his efforts. Um, the commentary that has come out about the naysayers and the public is, is, is ludicrous because at the end of the day, nobody told the purchaser to offer and promise what he promised. Nope. That was on him. That was on the mayor supporting those comments. I hope he can do it. I hope in 20 years there are drones flying around Steve Mullen, there are commercial flights. I, I hope everything that he wants, he can do. But right now, there's no evidence of it. Over the past two years, it's been promise after promise after promise, and and nothing has come to fruition that we know of as a council. I do think and feel that the mayor knows more than he lets on to council about, but I can't really speak to that. Fair enough. Um, I, I, I do know that the premise of this, now whether it would have made a difference to council or not, was every debate we had on the airport was, well, we want to get it off our books. Yes, but we never followed the process. There was enough public money, Patty, put into that airport over the years that the logical thing to do would have been to follow the disposal of assets 
that the town follows. So although the town didn't own it and it was it was an extension, we had effective control of what they did because we were controlling the money. Yeah. So it, we 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 had the control and could have said. You're going to follow our disposal of assets process. This is going to go to an RFP. The airport was never for sale. This was, I want to buy your airport, send a few emails to government, and everybody jumped on board. In the town, if somebody comes and says, we want to buy the industrial facility or land, we have an obligation as a municipality to put that out to the public and say, we have interest in this land. We're going to put it up for Crestford proposal because we might be interested in selling or leasing it. The same thing should have happened to the airport sure. because it was the taxpayers' dollars put into it. It goes back to your comments about process. Just for purposes of clarity for the pending news story to be written in our newsroom, what were you saying about bringing in uh, occupational health and safety? I, I, I think we're at the point now, Patty, where we, we've gone beyond just a regular political debate and making decisions as a council and the job of council and staff. I think we've gone beyond the point now where we've actually crossed that line or the council has crossed that line. The staff needs help. They don't know an avenue to go to. And I really do think that we are at a point now where there needs to be an investigation for bullying and harassment and intimidation, either on all the council, the mayor, whoever, just go in and be able to talk to the staff and let them know that somebody is listening, somebody cares, and to see what comes out of it. And if there is a finding that something is happening, then we can correct the behaviors that are happening. I'm not going to say the mayor needs to be removed. I'm not going to say he doesn't have the best interest of town at heart because I think in his own way he may. But I do think occupational health and safety should go into that town, interview the employees, interview the people that have left, to see what the culture is like because of my perception right now that it is very toxic and it has continued since I left on January 11th. Lenny, I really appreciate the time. I'm late for the news, but thanks for this and your candor. Uh, thank you so much, Patty. Take care. Stay in touch. Take care. All right, bye-bye. So that was uh, former Stephenville Town Councillor Lenny Tiller speaking on VOCM Open Line with Patty Daly this morning. We thought we'd um, run that again uh, because uh, a lot of what he said there, very uh, serious indeed. If you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. When we come back, a tentative deal has been reached between the provincial government and the allied health professionals. We'll tell you more about that when we come back right after this. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. A tentative deal has been reached between the provincial government and the allied health professionals. The AAHP represents more than 750 healthcare workers in the province in a wide range of professions. The tentative agreement now being taken to the union's membership for ratification. No details will be released until the tentative collective agreement is approved by the membership. AAHP President Gordon Piercy, though, was happy when he spoke with reporters today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we think they're going to be happy. Today's a good day. 
so he, he was uh, answering questions there from the media, you know, so, sort of looking for more detail on the agreement. But uh, he won't uh, he won't say he won't tip his hand just yet. Uh, this has to go to the membership for ratification. But uh, overall, Gordon Piercy quite pleased uh, with uh, with this tentative deal. The provincial government has introduced two new initiatives to improve access to child care. The initiatives were recommended through the Child Care Operating Grant Review released last month. Education Minister Crystalline Howell in St. Anthony to make the announcement held this news conference via Zoom just a short while ago. Thank you, Lynn. Can everybody hear me fine? Let me know if you can't. But uh, thank you so much for taking the opportunity to join us this afternoon. I'm here in St. Anthony at the beautiful Riddles and Rhymes daycare. So uh, you may hear some of my friends in the background. They are having a blast in the room next door. So um, we didn't use them as props. We're in their space today. So we're very, uh, very thankful for the opportunity to be able to join them. And today we are talking about the supports for our early learning centers and uh, pleased today to announce as a result of our operating grant program review two initiatives that will be undertaking in the department and uh, with the support of course of our federal counterparts and our Canada-wide early learning plan. Uh, today we are talking about the first initiative which will be an increase in the enrollment threshold for our childcare centers. And we're moving the threshold from a 70% to a 90% threshold. And that's in an effort to open up more spaces. And given that the demand that's there right now for these spaces, we want to incentivize organizations to make available the capacity that they have uh, within their centers. Then on top of that, the second initiative that we'll be instituting is a rural and remote allowance. And that'll be a 10% uh, increase on the base operating grant for uh, childcare centers, home-based centers, uh, all throughout the province in rural and remote areas. And that is recognizing full well some of the unique challenges. We've encountered a few of them here today. Some of the unique challenges that are present in our rural and remote centers and our operations and, you know, the geography, the availability of resources, the available of, of staff. So, um, the funding is intended to offset some of those challenges and allow centers in rural and remote areas to operate efficiently and effectively uh, at capacity as well. Okay, thank you, Minister. Um, so we're going to start with the questions now, and we're going to go in the order that people registered. Uh, so to start us off, uh, we're going to have uh, Linda, Linda Swain from the OCM. Go ahead, Linda. Hi, thanks for this. Uh, so uh, basically, what will this mean, particularly for rural and uh, remote areas? What kind of a difference will it make? So that's, uh, it's going to be, thanks for joining us again, Linda. Hi, nice to chat with you. Um, it, the increase that we are uh, talking about today will be a 10% increase to base operational funding. And, um, you know, our department will work with the operators in our rural and remote centers, and they'll be able to allocate those funds to specific challenges that they may have in some of our rural remote areas. Uh, if it's determined to be a human resource, if it's determined to be a, a, a 
product procurement or, or some of those issues that they may face that are particularly challenging when you're not necessarily on the beaten path. So uh, we want to allow our operators to use that to, uh, to continue to grow their spaces, you know, and, and some of the challenges may be, um, maybe our centers aren't able to operate at 90% in some of the rural areas. So there might have to be an offset of, of recognition of that as well. Any idea what uh, current waiting lists look like and, and where the biggest um, uh, problems are? So we've uh, introduced our child care demand portal and encourage anybody who hasn't had the opportunity to get on and to register to let us know where the true demand really exists. Anecdotally, we've captured tales of, of the, the demand that exists, but we want to have a more specific number, more concrete data. Um, looking at what we have so far, we've identified that our urban centers are the biggest challenges, but continuing to work in some of the rural areas as well, as it's still an identity need in many of those communities too. So that was Education Minister Crystalyn Howell uh, in St. Anthony today to make that announcement, uh, introducing new, two new initiatives to improve access to child care um, as outlined in uh, recommendations in the recent Child Care Operating Grant Review, which was released last month. If you have thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, uh, we're up to news time now with VOCM's Richard Duggan. But when we come back, uh, paramedics and emergency medical services workers uh, meeting in Gander to talk about this uh, integration of uh, road ambulance services across the province. We'll speak with Nate President Jerry Earle when we come back right after this. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And we are back. Well, 70 paramedics, emergency medical services workers, and dispatchers represented by NAPE have been meeting in Gander over the last day or so to discuss the ongoing integration of road ambulance services across the province. NAPE President Jerry Earle joins me now. Well, Jerry Earle, this is a pivotal time for paramedics and ambulance operators in Newfoundland and Labrador, and I understand there's a gathering now in Gander to uh, talk this through. What's going on? Yeah, what we're doing as a union is probably the first time in years, if not decades, that uh, EMS personnel from the entire province that we represent have assembled in one area to talk about the challenges in the workplace and what's unfolding right like I it's a pivotal time, the integration of the road ambulance component. Uh, and we represent EMS personnel from here right into Labrador, the West Coast. Uh, that makes up uh, paramedics, advanced care paramedics, EMRs, dispatchers. So certainly a, a lot of concerns and actually a lot of excited anticipation that they are actually moving into now one unified uh, EMS system across the entire province. Any key questions or issues here that remain unanswered? Uh, there's still significant questions, uh, still even seeing timelines change so people get concerned when there's a target date and they get moved out. So uh, there's a whole host of things, like uh, certainly from the frontline workers' perspective, uh, concerns that they have. Uh, like, as a change is always challenging for people, but as a 
uh, and I always say when change is handled appropriately, uh, that it's uh, not necessarily a bad thing. So that's what we're making sure what we're doing, meeting with the EMS personnel that we represent uh, to air, like we've been collaborating with them now for many months. But now just to sit down face-to-face to listen, first of all, what they have to say and what their concerns are. Uh, and then we already have a working group that is working to this. We're meeting jointly with representatives and frontline health services and government already. Uh, and coming out of this now, we put together a frontline group uh, that will be able to sit down and discuss their issues uh, in a very collaborative approach, trying to, if I said we one chance to do this right, it's the first time in Newfoundland Labrador this has happened. It's not new in other parts of the country, but you only get one opportunity to try to do this right. Uh, and that's what we want our frontline workers to be part of, hearing what their suggestions are, what their concerns are, uh, because they're the ones that do this invaluable work, this challenging work every day. How far into the uh, integration process uh, is the system right now? It's moved uh, a fair ways along. A few things keep changing. You just see the request for proposals for a component to come in, as they refer to a new co, new company, to manage the EMS system. Uh, all the frontline staff, which we have argued for decades, I've argued since I was a frontline paramedic, uh, EMS healthcare in general should be a public system. So now it's going to become a public system. It will be privately managed by whoever that new company is. But it will be a management team, hopefully, that will be dedicated to EMS. This is not where some manager that's responsible for multiple departments is doing EMS on the corner of the desk. That's been a challenge. Uh, and a single management system should bring consistency, whether you're in Harbour Breton, whether you're in St. John's, whether you're in Port of Bass or in Labrador. Hopefully, we'll see that consistency through a unified managed system and a unified staffing model. So I think there's good things, in, but I'd like to say it's progressed along where that's one key piece now where this management team may come in. Uh, existing uh, administration within Newfoundland Health Service, a brand new health authority provincial-wide, uh, and Department of Health Community Services, like we've been having communication through this pro- process to talk about concerns that we have. Uh, so all that's been happening is to move toward that date, but I know on the government side there's some big pieces to do, uh, like say from all the private operators that are dealing with uh, securing uh, number one, just equipment and the trucks or the units actually for the staff to operate. So what is the focus or the purpose of this uh, roundtable now underway in Gander? Well, the key piece, uh, and you've heard me say often, the first thing you do is listen to people that do these jobs. They'll always have answers to many problems that's there. Uh, like I said, we've been consulting with them indirectly, but we thought it was a good idea to bring every base that we represent, Newfoundland Labrador, there's at least a representative here from, in some cases two, in the case of Metro Ambulance, the largest ambulance system, there's five reps there. So listening to what they experience on the road, uh, what they believe can be done to enhance the system, uh, and listen to their ideas. Like I said, they are the ones that work this every day, uh, not policymakers. So that's what we wanted to hear first and from what our our members, uh, EMS personnel, all of them inclusive, uh, have to bring to the table. And actually coming out of this today, we'll have a working group made up of frontline paramedics along with our staff people that now will be engaged in this process on behalf of NAEP, uh, the ones that we've got. So, again, they will be stakeholders who are at the table part of these discussions. Jerry Earl, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity, Linda. Thank you very much.
And that is NAPE President Jerry Earle in Gander with uh, paramedics, uh, EMS workers, dispatchers, about 70 or so of them to discuss and um, uh, express, you know, ways in which the um, integration of road ambulance services best be done across the province. Uh, well, when we come back after the break, a major funding announcement today for Choices for Youth. We'll take you to that news conference uh, in a uh, drafty old Grushy's auto building on the Marchant Road when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, a major funding announcement today for Choices for Youth. Uh, They're the ones behind the renovation uh, work that's underway at the old Grouchy's Auto Building on La Marchant Road. You may have noticed it's all covered in orange tarp there now. Uh, but they're going to be converting that into a new social enterprise center and innovation hub. Reporters and officials gathered there this morning. It's uh, empty right now. It's just a big cold building, I guess, <laughs> uh, which made it a little challenging, I suppose, for uh, some of the people there. But um, uh, they were all gathered there for the funding announcement. Here's Choices for Youth, Sheldon Pottle and MP uh, and Labor Minister Seamus O'Regan. This project has been many years in the making. I think I shared with Minister Pike upstairs as we were walking through. The vision for this center started probably 12 years ago when I visited good friends to this day, uh, building urban industries for local development in Winnipeg. And what I landed there and what I saw was a very vibrant uh, social enterprise and innovation hub doing this kind of work in Winnipeg, largely with youth, largely with inner city folks, you know, largely with indigenous folks who needed a better future. So we looked at that as we traditionally do at Choice of Youth and say, how do we bring that opportunity to young people and young families in our province? So that's where that started. Um, so to, be, to speak more about this partnership with Choice of Youth and the Government of Canada, I'd like to invite the Honourable Seamus O'Regan, Minister of Labour and Seniors, to provide remarks on behalf of the Government of Canada. Come on up, Seamus. I am very pleased to announce that the federal government is investing $2.3 million under the Green and Inclusive Community Buildings Program and another $400,000 through ACOA to help Choices for Youth open this amazing new social enterprise and innovation hub that we are standing in right now. $2.7 million. $2.7 million to give youth the tools that they need, not just to be successful, but to thrive both professionally and personally. To give them opportunities that they can stand on and be proud of. Things like Smartice. We are not just partnering with the city and the provincial government, but also companies like Martech and Home Depot and organizations like North Pine and the R. Howard Webster Society. Everyone is all in because we have seen the impact that Choices for Youth has made in our community, and we all want this to grow. When all is said and done, this hub will employ 100 youth and provide a space Retail spaces, office spaces, kitchen space, what else? Sheldon, Jesus, it's 
spaces for young people to gain the skills that they need in today's workforce. And they'll do it in a newly renovated building that is energy efficient and accessible to them. I can tell you, as the Member of Parliament for St. John South Long Pearl, these are exactly the type of investments that I welcome with open arms. As the Mayor just said in my ear, he said, boy, this, this is the good one. All right? These are good ones. Um, helping young people and families right around town. I mean, how many of us have driven by this building, you know, and seen its potential, right? And wondered what it could be. Um, so I'm also the Minister of Labor, and, and you know, this is, this is exactly the type of thing I love to see. Young people getting involved in the workforce, getting the training that they need to get a job, and show up to that job with confidence. And investing in these young people pays dividends, and not just economically, it supports mental health, youth homelessness, one opportunity, a job a job. It can take a young person who is on a risky path and put them on a new and promising one. This is the real deal. I'd be remiss, by the way, um, before I thank you all for being here, if I didn't mention my good friend Charlie Oliver, who brought this project to uh, my attention many years ago. Uh, of course, Charlie's away on business right now. Um, but it, it, is, it is philanthropists like that that show our city at its finest. He was driven to help make this happen. Uh, I'm so impressed, too, by the energy of this crowd that's in this room. Let me tell you, we do a number of these announcements, and despite the cold and being in here, you can feel the energy. You can feel the excitement. I know many of you, you know, if you are not with Choices for Youth, you understand the good that they do, and we are here to celebrate it and to celebrate the promise of what you do, the, what you do now, what you will be able to do with this place. This is so exciting. Thank you all very much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. So that's MP and Labor Minister Seamus O'Regan at uh, Choices for Youth's a new uh, building now under renovation and uh, conversion on um, La Marche Road, the old Grouchy's Auto Building uh, for those in the St. John's area, um, making that funding announcement this morning. Well, Claudette, do you find yourself sending very many letters anymore? <laughs> Not at all. No. How about no. cards, though? Do you send cards out, like, for no. birthdays and that sort of thing no. to people who live away? Not for those who live away. And I feel bad because I have some family members that do not forget an, uh, a date at all. And so you're still getting the card and the handwritten uh, note inside, which is very special to me. But at the same time, I don't reciprocate. <laughs> I need to reciprocate. <laughs> email that's terrible <laughs> i'm shocked i'm personally quite shocked no i'm kidding uh a lot of people are the same as you uh yeah. there are people who will send regular cards and letters and that yeah. sort of thing in the mail and there are others who either have never done it or have stopped doing it and i must say christmas time i do have quite a few friends and family scattered about the glo globe and um at one time i used to be very vigilant in sending out cards especially around christmas uh to people away and uh that has diminished now to a very small number i have to say and maybe that's what's prompting this uh it may soon cost more to uh post a letter in the mail again 
Yeah, Canada. <laughs> well, you say again, but wait for it now. Okay. Um, Canada Post is aiming to raise the cost of stamps by seven cents. Oh, that's a lot. To ninety-nine cents. So if you needed an incentive to give up sending all those cards in the mail, this might be it. I don't know. Um, it, it, that seems uh, very high it does yeah uh and those are for the stamps that you get like in either you know how you used to get them in the long coil Mm -hmm. or in a little booklet or whatever the case may be so those are the ones that you buy like say a package of 10 or whatever so they're giving you that lower price 99 cents just below a dollar but if you say i need a stamp for this to send something off uh that price is going up to uh dollar 15 Oh, so it pays to kind of buy them in bulk. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I always have a few stamps in my purse. Mm-hmm. And remember how they took the place price off of stamps some years ago oh. because the price went up to such a degree that mm-hmm. I guess it was seen off as a little bit of a de- detriment. Yeah. So they would just put like a letter or, you know, whatever on it. Um, so I don't know if they're going to have a big <laughs> fifteen on a, on a stamp anymore. But um, anyway, other products, including U.S. international letter post and domestic registered mail, would also be affected by the rate changes. The price increases were announced for public comment today and subject to regulatory approvals will take effect on May the 6th. So if you feel guilty enough, Claudette, to reciprocate, now is the time to do that. Canada Post (laughs) says, uh, I'm just giving you a hard time. Canada Post says domestic letter mail mail rates have gone up twice in the last decade by five cents in 2019 and two cents again in 2020. It says the last major pricing change was made in March of 2014. So... I think you've inspired me to go buy some stamps, Linda. <laughs> well, whatever I can do. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, you've, so you've got that aspect of things on the letter side of things. And then you've got on the other side of things, packages. Right. And that, that business has gone way up, mm-hmm. as we all know, because there's packages going left, right, and center <laughs> all over this globe, uh, because that's how people, you know, do a lot of their shopping now online and the like. So, uh, or you're sending packages to friends, or you bought something for a friend and you're sending them the package, if you know what I mean. You're almost better off buying one of those, si- whatever gift you're going to get, get them to to send it for you on behalf of you, so you don't have to kind of pay that extra stuff and go to the store and get it all shipped yourself <laughs> okay i i think i fo- like i think instance, i'm following you I, like wouldn't it cost less maybe i'm just i shouldn't be thinking out loud live on the radio send them a text or give them a call and say no. hey order this for yourself happy birthday well my brother-in-law almost tried to do that to me what do you want on amazon pick it out but they'll you know some of these places like amazon can have it delivered to somebody else's address for you so i don't think that that would cost extra you know what i mean like okay instead of say you bought you bought something for one of your family members you would have to go to a post office or wherever that has the the shipping capabilities and fool around with you know the packaging and and all of that but if you order something online you can get the gift shipped instead of to yourself to them yeah 
That's right. Yeah. Right? A lot of people do that. But where's the love, there Claudette? Isn't, there isn't. And there's nothing, <laughs> you know, I agree. I think it's a lost um, art. I think we all, once a week, once a month, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Now that I'm saying it on the air, I think we should just go ahead and do it, Linda. Randomly pick out a relative or a friend's name once a month and hand written them you know yeah write them something. there's something you know i've kept uh, a lot of the cards like my grandmother sent me oh, over yeah, the years the and stuff like that it's and, precious and now that they're gone it means so, so much, much more. more you know what i mean and i will never ever get rid of them i mean i i am a little bit of a you know a sentimental pack rat, too uh, and sentimental yes um but you know uh i've hung on to them over the years and i'm never going to get rid of them well i have an aunt who has kept every single birthday anniversary card from everyone everywhere. So you can imagine the Tupperware over the years, all these cards with the handwritten things in them. At some point, you're going to have to purge it, but it's tough, right? And there's nothing like going, you know, being nostalgic and opening up one of those old cards and seeing the handwritten spot of something, someone who loved who had passed. I mean, it's, you can't put a price tag on that. I love going through like an old drawer in someone's house or something. Not in, not in anybody's house, <laughs> but like in be. my house or okay. mom's house. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and finding in the back of a drawer somewhere, forgotten, pushed into the back like an old letter. And yes. that happened to me not too long ago, oh. as a matter of fact. I found an old letter from my grandmother to my mom. Oh, how and, sweet. And uh, picked it up and read it. Uh, it was about... I don't know, 30 or 40 years really? old, you know, so it's saying so-and-so had her baby and we've had a really hard winter and all these little, little almost pieces of history, mm -hmm. you know, that in just casual uh, discussion, it was, it was like, oh my goodness, it was so wonderful to see that, the, hear my grandmother's voice, so to speak, yep. after so many years, you know, it was really uh, something, but those days are gone. Now you got to try and figure out if they sent you a text and if you still got the phone that it sent, they sent it on and you know what I'm saying. You know what I've noticed in my social media feed that comes up because I, I guess crafty things come up in my social media feed. It seems that people are getting, say, the handwritten um, notes from, say, a grandmother or especially a recipe and getting it burnt onto like a charcuterie board or something like that. So you have that kind of thing. I know I'm off topic, but... Oh God, you got me in in Man, all the feels, you got, Linda. You, uh, <laughs> uh, these are uh, what was it? We we're going to do a hackathon with uh, Claudette <laughs> yes, Burns. That's, that's a right. great idea. I never thought about that. Yeah, I mean, then you you'll always have that, like yeah, because I'm sure everybody has a scrap of paper somewhere with, with their handwritten and there's nans or their aunts or their and sisters on those tea or towels too. Yeah. You'll see them printed out on the on the tea towels as well. Which every time you look at that, it will bring a tear to your eye Linda <laughs> the thing is is that uh, years ago like I I used to always sit down with an aunt or something and say I love your tea buns give me your recipe for your tea buns yeah. and they say oh I don't know you put in some flour and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and I say well how much yeah well, I don't know what we'll just you know whatever feels right they, and I was like whatever I feel is right yeah. is not going to be right exactly they purposely my grandmother did that too she wouldn't give out the re well she'd give out the recipes but she'd always hold back an ingredient they right? Always be something, yeah. Never as good as Nance. Yeah, never as good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just saying, my aunt makes the best tea buns in the world, oh. and I've been trying to get that recipe from her for years. And like I said, she'll give it to you, but 
we should get her to enter because we'll have to talk off the air because I know that <laughs> in the summer there's usually around the bay like this tea bun kind of bake off like who oh. has the best tea buns around the bay I think it's in Carboneer. I'm going to have to research that. Thanks, Linda. <laughs> oh, look at the time. <laughs> look at the time. Well, f- ponder that over the weekend, <laughs> if you will. Uh, I'm off to the Growlers game. Looking forward to oh. that. Uh, so uh, do join us. We'll be back on Monday. Do join us then. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a safe and happy weekend.